0: Well good morning. It's good to see you uh, in the house of the Lord. Uh, we, we are the house of the Lord. It's not this building. It's we who are born of his spirit. We are the true church. We are the house of the Lord. Um, this morning at the end of our service, we're going to have a special time of prayer. Uh, and it's going to be prayer for Brother Jimmy. Uh, as most of you know, this past week he received word that he has cancer. And uh, that troubled me in my spirit. Uh, we will be uh, laying hands on this model deacon and anointing him with oil this morning and praying for his healing. Now, this is something that is greatly misunderstood in many areas of the body of Christ, this praying for healing, this anointing with oil. Uh, So rather than picking up In James chapter 3, we've been going verse by verse through the book of James. We took a little break last week, celebrate the resurrection, celebrate the crucifixion, celebrate the the Savior that accomplished our great salvation. And I was going to pick up in the next verse in James chapter 3. That's how I'm wired logically, verse by verse, through books. And I had to jump. Jump off of James 3, springboard into James chapter 5, and preach through one of the, the most controversial texts in the book of James. Matter of fact, one of the most controversial texts in the New Testament, if I would suggest that. And so. Today, take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to James chapter 5. I want to read to you verses 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 of James chapter 5. So let's read this firecracker of a passage, if you will, together. If anyone among you is suffering... Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save or heal the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. This is God's word. Now, this passage of Scripture... There is multifactorial. There, there are a lot of things that are going on in that passage. There are a lot of principles that could be taught in that passage. There are a lot of things that are being said in that passage. But this morning, I, I know there's a lot going on in that text. We could really probably spend four weeks in that text, okay? And still not mind the truth of that text. There's so much there. But... Uh, This morning, I want to zero in on this issue of healing that it's talking about here. This often misunderstood, misapplied, misinterpreted passage of Scripture. that's dealing with with healing. Um, Anytime you deal with the supernatural... Anytime you deal with the miraculous, healings in particular, uh, the enemy, that is Satan, uh, delights to set people at odds with one another. And a lot of the power, I think, that fuels the enemy and his schemes of division over certain passages of Scripture, it comes because we have a faulty understanding of a text of truth. If we knew the truth, then the truth would set us free from the lies of the enemy, and we would not be at such odds with one another, even though we may differ on how we think about certain things. But this passage is often volatile. This passage, and here I'll just let you in on my conviction. All right? This passage is new covenant truth that is relative for the life and practice of the local church today. Do you hear me? Today. Not 2,000 years ago. Today. There's relevance to the local church. Your pastor is one who believes in the miraculous today. I believe in miracles. I believe in healing miracles today. And so, consequently, I believe in obeying the prescription of this text. I believe that it is pertinent to pastoral care in the life and practice of the local church um, One of my mentors is Dr. John Piper, and I think Piper summed up the essence of this text and its application in the local church today when he said these words, and I would quote him. James 5 is a rebuke to shepherds, pastors that is, that never have the faith to heal and churches that don't pray for each other in the spirit and power of Elijah. And end quote, and I agree with that. I agree with that. Now, many Baptist pastors are uncomfortable with this text. And rightly so. I understand their uncomfortability with it. There is so much insane. So much insane stuff out there in the charismatic and neo-Pentecostal segments of the church. There's such abuses that are out there, doctrinal errors that are out there, that I understand why they would be uncomfortable with this passage. But the problem is, Baptists tend to be reactionary. Study your history. We're reactionary. And so what happens is when we are troubled by something, sometimes we react to it not with sound biblical doctrine, but with unbiblical extremism. And often we end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful. Now rather than becoming anti-anything and everything that has to do with miracles or the sign gifts of the Spirit today, let's learn to think biblically. Do you hear me? Let's learn to think biblically about them. This text is so foreign to most Baptists that... And this is humorous, and I don't usually give a whole lot of humor, but I had a teenager walk in my office at my first pastorate, and I had, do you remember when Cracker Barrel used to have those bigger bottles of syrup you could take them? Now they got them little bitty things, but they had those bigger bottles of syrup, maple syrup you could take home. Well, I took one of those home with me, and I emptied it out and cleaned it out, and I put olive oil in it. And it was sitting in my office, and the kid walked in and thought, Pastor. What are you doing with a bottle of whiskey in here? (laughs) I assured him that it was not whiskey. It was a teaching opportunity. So what is James saying? What is he teaching us here? Well, before we swim in the waters of this text, let me remind you that whenever you come to a passage of Scripture whenever you come to a passage of Scripture and you draw out of it interpretive conclusions, those conclusions, if they be right, if you have rightly divided the word of truth, those interpretations will always be God-centered and Christ-glorified. I have found with this text from both sides of the aisle, pro-healing and anti-healing, that the erroneous conclusions that some draw, they are often humanistic. They are often man-centered. They are often self-exalting in their application. I don't want that. Please, please. My heart is to be God-centered, Christ-honoring, Christ-glorifying, Christ-exalting. I want God to be the center of it all. It is not about you. It is not about me. It is not about Brother Jimmy. It is not about a cancer diagnosis. It is about the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. Now. Concerning the issue of healing in this text, in order to expose the truth, I would like to first expose or present to you seven common fallacies or errors or misunderstandings that people have about this passage. And then after I throw those out there, I want to wrap up and end up with dealing with how you you, you actually deal with this particular passage and how and when this Is an appropriate prescription for divine healing right now. Sounds like before we go any further, we need to pray. Let's pray. Father God, we bow before you. And Lord, we thank you for this day. God, I pray that as we come to a text that can become so volatile and certain segments of the body of Christ today. I pray, Father, that You will just fill us with Your peace. For God, You are truth, and that truth will keep us at peace, Lord. I pray, Father, that today You will help us to have a greater understanding. God, help us to not come to a a passage with uh, preconceived ideas and notions. That's hard, Lord. The only way that can happen is for a supernatural miracle of illumination in our heart and our mind. And I pray for that today, God. Help us, Lord. May Christ be glorified. May Christ be honored. Father, I pray that if there's anyone among us today... That doesn't know Christ in a saving way. God, I pray that, Lord, all they hear is the conviction of your Holy Spirit on their life. God, I pray that, Lord, the gospel would be exalted in their life. The fact that Christ alone has bore the weight of their sin. And He is the only way and the only hope of their rescue from an eternal hell. Lord, I pray. That would be so for those like that. But for your church, God, I pray that you would equip us and that you would help us to understand, Lord, things that are weighty. Father, it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen. All right. Well, let me present to you some things that. A lot of people sometimes believe about this passage that is absolutely erroneous in my estimation. Okay, and the first one that I would offer you is the idea that the oil that we read about in that passage is medicinal. That it is referring to medicine here. Now, it's true In biblical times and in the Middle East, that those cultures would, and including the Jews, would sometimes use oil for medicinal purposes. They would rub it on wounds, they would rub it into the skin, and uh, they would do this from a completely medical perspective. Scientific, if you will, at the time, and I put that in quotes, uh, reasoning. And because that was a practice at that time, there are those that when they read this, because anything miraculous seems to scare them, they will say, well, that's what that is. And the purpose of this passage is saying that that, that you need to pray to God and take your medicine, and that's how your healing's coming. Now listen to me. I'm not being anti-medicine. I'm not telling you, don't take your medicine. That's not what I'm saying. That's, that's not what this is about. This is That's not what any of what I'm going to say is about this morning. God may use medicine in his bringing of healing to your life. But what I'm saying is that the oil here, that is not talking about medicine. You remember the disciples... John, in, in Mark chapter 6, about verse 33, the text says there, this is what it says about the disciples. I read it, it says, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. That text does not mean God endowed them with supernatural power to exercise demonic forces from people's lives. And all of a sudden he said, while you're out there, if you run along and cross anybody that's sick, hand them two or three Advil. He's not, that's not, that, that makes no sense, okay? That makes no sense at all. This view, as common as it is, remember I told you that right views are God-centered and God-glorifying? To me, this view, as common as it is, is humanistic and man-centered, and it ignores the supernatural. It ignores the reality of the supernatural. The text is not talking about Tylenol, Advil, and chemotherapy, not saying that you shouldn't do those things. You hear me? Okay. This is talking about something supernatural. This is talking about something rooted and grounded in the power and authority of God. Now, second idea that is erroneous, and this is on the opposite end of the spectrum. There are those that think that The oil that is used is supernatural itself, that there's some kind of power in the oil. I gotta have that oil. (laughs) No, you don't. Do you hear me? No, you don't. Okay? There are those that treat the anointing oil as if there's something special or magical or supernatural about the oil. Well, that's superstition. That's foolishness. That is ultimately idolatry to think that. Because it glorifies not God, but an object and a substance more than it glorifies Jehovah Rophe, the God who heals. So it can't be that. So what is the oil here? Well, I would suggest to you that the oil is functions like the waters of baptism. What I mean by that, it is simply symbolic. And the oil is often in the New Testament symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the application of the oil is simply an act of obedience In response to faith. And I will say more about that later on. But you know, there is an obedience that comes from faith. Romans 1, verse 5. And it's simply an act of obedience, okay? You see, you see the connection between faith and obedience. And healing, for example, in the blind man that was healed at the pool of Siloam, or in Naaman that was healed in Second Kings. Let me show you what I mean by that. I want you to see this in the Scripture. Let me show you. Look over first. Just turn back, since we're in the New Testament. Go back over to John chapter nine. John chapter nine. In in John chapter nine, we read this 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 narrative says and he as he passed by that's jesus he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind jesus answered it was not this man it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming and no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent." And so he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Okay, the Lord had already determined this blind man would be healed. But in response... To this blind man's faith that God would do what God promised to do. He had to go wash in the pool of Siloam. That was an act of obedience. If he really believed it, he would do it. You see what I'm saying? Now you're going to see how this fits in into this passage in just a minute. Naaman. Naaman, if you remember, got angry. Elijah... Went to go healing. You can read about it in, in 2 Kings chapter 5. And Naaman got angry. He had leprosy. And he, he sent for Elijah. And Elijah came to him. you know, And Elijah told him, go down to the Jordan and dip in seven times. And you'll be healed. Well, Naaman got angry. He said, oh, I just thought you, man of God, you would come up to me and say some little word and wave your hand over me. And I would be miraculously healed. Well, after some people reasoned with him, Naaman finally went down there and did it. Why? Because even though it was very faint, there was a mustard seed of faith there that this thing was going to work. And so he went down there and did it. He wasn't saved by, he wasn't healed by the dipping. He was healed. That healing came through the faith. That obedience demonstrated the faith that he had. Well, the anointing oil is simply a symbol here. It's a symbol of this healing in this text in James chapter 5. And when one is anointed with oil, they are simply conforming to the obedience of this text. There's nothing magical about it. Okay? Nothing magical about it fallacy number three. There are those that think this sickness here is referring only to physical sickness, but I want you to understand it is bigger than physical sickness because the Greek term that is used there encompasses more than just physical sickness. So that's what we primarily think about, but it also can apply to spiritual, emotional, it can apply to depression, it can apply apply to demonic oppression. A fourth Erroneous ideas that the sickness here is only referring to sickness that comes because of sin. Well, some would say that because at the end of verse 15 he says, if anyone sinned, let it talk about confessing his sins, it talks about forgiveness, and it talks about healing. Also, all in there. That is not a statement of absolutism. That is Addressing the issue, because there is sickness that comes because of sin, that that person confesses that sin and follows this prescription, then the healing comes. okay? Right? But there is sickness because of sin, but not all sin is due to personal sin, though all sickness is the result of sin in general. Did that make sense? Okay. Now, there are those that think this text is only that it was temporary. It was temporary. They say James 5 only applied to the church in the apostolic period. Well, my question is, if that's so, why is it in your Bible? Okay? Why, why is it in your Bible? Um, that is an idea that has no... Biblical basis. I will say that about cessationism in general. As as well as some of those guys out there that teach. They are solid on most all areas of the faith until you get to that one area. And it's usually a they're reacting to charismatic abuses rather than careful exegesis of the scripture. Because if you study your scripture there, you will not find a verse in context that is saying that these things have passed away today. Now you can do some gymnastics with places like 1 Corinthians 13 and some other places to try and say that, but that is not the context. Yes, these miraculous things will pass that way one day, and you may tell you when they will. The context is when the the imperfect becomes perfect, and the word there is Telion, and that has to do with a perfection that comes at the second coming of Christ. Then it will. But beyond that, you cannot, you cannot authentically, intellectually, honestly say that about those things. But some think it's temporary. For some, it's just a way of masking unbelief. (laughs) Okay? But for a lot of people, they're well-meaning. It's that's not true. John Calvin and many of the reformers thought that these things were temporary. You know let me tell you why they thought that? They thought that because the Catholic Church was being so abusive with it. And they were reacting to the abuse in the Catholic Church, and because the Catholic Church was abusing it, we don't want to have anything to do with that. It's great as everything else those guys did in the recovery of the gospel, in the, the exaltation of the sovereignty of God who saves, the sovereign God who saves. All of us only know in part and see in part. And there are some areas we have blinders. And even the reformers had blinders in places. You have to You want to think biblically. And you and I have blinders in areas. Okay, that's why we need the church so that we can deal with each other, go to the scriptures, reason like a Berean, and rebuke one another when we need to be rebuked. Follow me? All right. Um, Some people will say that the anointing oil guarantees instant and automatic healing for all people. That is not what it teaches. It does not guarantee healing for all people at all times. There is a reason it works at certain times and I'm going to discuss that here in just a minute. And then there is another idea that is wrong and that it brings healing based on our response to that passage. In other words, you get healed based on your obedience to respond to that passage. And well, that's not quite right either because that then throws the light on you, and makes God's sovereign choice in healing subservient to you. And that do not work that way. So, question. The question everybody in here is probably wanting to know. How is healing secured and guaranteed for anyone when this text says they'll be healed? It's what it says. What, it, what, it, what is it? Well, this is where you've got to understand it contextually. What is he saying? Now, I cannot overemphasize enough the fact that the healing in this text does not come because we prayed. I cannot overemphasize enough that the healing in this text does not come because we use oil. God heals apart from those things when he chooses at times. Look in the Scriptures. Not every blind man had to go dip in the pool of Siloam. Not every leper had to go wash 7 times in the Jordan, but everyone who was healed found their healing in the sovereign Lord Jehovah Rophe, the God who heals. So what are we saying here? Verse 15 is key to unlocking the door of understanding. James 5. Let me read, James. This is the first part of James 15. It's pertinent. The prayer of faith will save or heal the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, what's that mean? What's that saying? The word faith is the most important word in the first phrase of verse 15. It is absolutely essential. Um, Without faith, the praying is in vain. The oil is in vain. Uh, Earlier in James, if you'll recall, in James chapter 1... He talked about praying for wisdom. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach. It will be given to him. But here's verse 6. But let him ask in faith. Pray in faith. With no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, that is a two-souled man, unstable in all his ways. Faith is important in understanding here. So what, what, what is faith? Faith here, especially as it applies to prayer. What is faith? Well, faith is not, okay, faith is not your ability to believe God. Faith, here comes, faith is God's sovereign gift that He supplies you with to have the power to believe that He will do what He promised He will do. Now, How does that work here? Well, first of all, what what has... Now, I'm going to try to talk real slow, okay? What has God promised to do in regard to sickness concerning the believers? And I've got to talk slow or you'll think I'm speaking some kind of word of faith, gibberish, garbage, demonic doctrine. I'm not. Do you hear me? I'm saying I'm not. You've got to rightly understand it. So listen, what has God promised to do in regard to sickness concerning the Christian? I want you to look at Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 and 17. In, in, In Matthew chapter 8... Jesus quotes from Isaiah 53. And he quotes from Isaiah 53, and the application is to physical sickness. In Luke's gospel, he quotes from, from Isaiah, okay, same passage, and the application is completely talking about our spiritual salvation. But that's not the context over here. Listen to beginning in verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. <laughs> that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out spirits. And with a word... With a word he did that, and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. End quote. Jesus on the prophet Isaiah. Now, here's where I've got to talk slow. All sickness is the result of the fall. There was no sickness in the garden prior to the rebellion of Adam. There was no sickness in creation prior to depravity coming into being. In creation. Okay, So it is a part of the curse... Messiah came to redeem us from the curse, the curse of sin and death. Matter of fact, everything in the salvation of many people throughout salvation history is working up toward a new heaven and a new earth in which we are restored into the way it was in the Garden of Eden. You listening? Okay? So what Jesus did on the cross was to secure that coming into being for Christians. All right, this is where you got to listen to me. Because people will ask the question Well, is it God's will for me to be healed or not? Well, right now, sometimes it's God's will that you suffer. Did you hear me? Right now, sometimes it's God's will that you suffer. However, it is always God's perfect will that the Christian will ultimately be healed. And that may, and you're, you will be, trust me, you'll be healed when you got your glorified body. You'll be free of all disease when you have your glorified body. That is, the, that is when it is absolutely secured and guaranteed that the healing for you comes and you will see God's will manifest in your life perfectly. However, here's the thing. Sometimes God, in His sovereign choice, grants a taste of that healing to us in our temporal state of being. He gives us a taste of that. That is His choice. It is His choice to do that. And sometimes in the life of the local church... James 5 is the means by which he will bring such temporary healings. So how does the prayer of faith work? What God will do sometimes is give someone the faith that he is going to bring about a healing. That faith could be in the elders, that faith could be in the sick person. doesn't really specify where the faith is, but God will give the faith or the assurance that He's going to heal. That He's going to do it. That didn't come from you, that came from God. It is God's way, the faith is God's way of confirming what He has promised you to do right now. All you do is obey Him and obey, for example, in this text. But it doesn't come because of your obedience. It comes because of God's decree. And God will give this assurance that He's going to do. What is faith? Faith is the evidence of things unseen. Right? Hebrews chapter 11. He'll give the faith that this thing is going to happen give the faith. It's God's way of confirming to you what he's about to do. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You don't see that healing. You don't see it. You hope for it. Hope in that context. It's not, oh, I hope so. Hope in that context. That word literally means it is a confident reality. I may not feel it. The doctors may not see it, but I know that I'm going to be healed. God, that comes from God. I'm not just talking about pie in the sky. You work it up. I'm talking about something supernatural. Elijah, when he prayed, you see it in the prayer of Elijah. Elijah, when he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half months, why? God gave him the faith of what he was going to do. His prayer and his faith confirmed what God had already decreed to do. And the same is true In this context. Now. Let me give you some examples of this. Okay. I'm not speaking theoretically. I'm not speaking esoterically. I'm not speaking as one who read about it. I've seen it. Let me start with my dad. 2005, dad was diagnosed with adenosarcoma, lung cancer. It was a result of his age, the Agent Orange, his service in Vietnam. In 2005, dad was given an 11% chance of surviving. Well, the minute I heard that, I remember I was standing in a room at, at UAB and I fell to my knees and I was just broke. And a few days later, I just knew God was going to heal my dad. I just knew it. Now you say, well, we would all hope that our... No, I'm telling you, I knew it. Okay? My dad was not going to be an 89% chance in the grave guy before six months was up. That, that No, I knew it. So what, what did we do? We gathered around dad. We anointed him with oil. I laid hands on him. I prayed for him. Now was his healing instantaneous right then? No, he still went through a procedure. He still went, had some chemotherapy, had some radiation, still had to do that. But six months down the road, rather than being in the ground, he was proclaimed cancer-free. They just said, only 11% chance. Well, my dad, even though it, it would seem to reoccur sometimes, but we'd pray, it'd go away. I had him for 14 years, I wasn't supposed to have him. Dad didn't die until 2019. He didn't die. And I think of it, the Lord said it's like, he's like Hezekiah. Hezekiah was told he's going to die. He prayed to the Lord. <laughs> Fifteen years added to his life. I can't tell you how all that works out. I'm not God. But I don't want some theologian to rob you of what God clearly Teaches in the scriptures. I'll give you another example. My wife, about a year and a half ago, she was experiencing what they call, if you guys remember, vocal paralysis. That's problematic for a kindergarten teacher. I mean, she was scared. She was scared. But I just knew she wasn't going to lose her voice. I just knew it. One Sunday night, what did we do? We gathered around her here in this congregation. And we anointed her with oil and we prayed for her. Now my wife had not been able to get talk much above a raspy sound. For months, wasn't it? Months. Weeks, weeks, excuse me. I was speaking ministerially. Weeks turn into months. You know how that is. For weeks, well, we anoint her with oil, we prayed for her. wasn't instantaneous. But the next morning, she woke up, guess what? She had vocal sounds. Now, it wasn't perfect, and there was still some healing. But that was the first time she had the strength to speak. To God be the glory. Sola Deo Gloria. To Him be the glory then guys, I could tell you about myself. Now you know, and I'm not going to speak very long on on this, you guys know about my traumatic brain injury when I was 22 years of age. You know about me being in a coma for several days. You know that story. I'm not going to go through that. But while I was, I guess, still kind of out of it, um, there was a minister that came and, and did anoint me with oil uh, in the hospital. I don't know anything about. it. I was out of it. Prayed for me. Had another lady that prayed for me, and she knew God. I knew God's going to heal me. A few days later, I, I mean, I hadn't. I was still, you know, under suspicion of what's going to happen. You know, I, I heard talk about how she just cried. What if I was wrong? They pray, Guys, I'm standing here to you today with no repercussions. Except for some numbness in these fingers where a nerve was severed. And that's my, what I tell you is my reminder. My reminder of what God has brought me through. But wow. Wow. I mean... Even after I came out of the coma, I had a cognitive therapist that said I'd never preach again because my verbal memory was subpar. I went back to a cognitive therapist six months later and my verbal memory was above average. My spatial memory, which is where you have stuff in space, was still a little meh, but it had always been that way, I always losing my car keys, always forgetting where I park at Walmart. I'm the idiot wandering around, hitting the little button, eh, eh, trying to make my car go off. But guys, I want you to understand that God does heal today. And that when God gives you the assurance for that and the faith for that, you follow through in obedience. Okay? Okay. And if you're not healed today, and you're not healed next week, God promises you're going to be healed. Now, if people don't like to hear that. Oh, no. To die is gain. I don't want to die. We're, a lot of people just want to avoid death. Listen. God's going to use you to bring Him glory in your suffering. Paul said for him, it was appointed unto him, the ability to believe Christ." And I suffer for Him. But what did it matter to Paul? For he considered all things rubbish in compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. And I would say to you this morning, not everyone in this room is a believer. You, you, you may profess... Belief, but you have not been born of God. And to you, I would say, as you're sitting there thinking about all this stuff that He's been talking about healing, let me tell you, there. Listen, there is a greater need in your life rather than trying to process this right now, and that need is the Lord Jesus Christ. Church will not save you. Baptismal waters will not save you. Praying and reciting some little prayer that you read on the back of a text will not save you. But when you're praying because your faith is in Christ alone, and it rests in Him alone, I tell you, that's a work of grace alone. And therefore, God will get the glory alone. And if you read your Bible, that is sola scriptura. That's what the Scripture alone teaches about the Gospel. That's what the Reformers recovered. While the Catholic Church was burying it under all kinds of heresies. Just trust Christ. Call on the name of the Lord. When you feel the weight of your sin and that Christ is your only hope, call on Him. He's mighty to save. He can save the worst of sinners. Listen, when you are troubled by your sin, there is no sin that God cannot forgive. There is no slate that he cannot wipe clean. There is no death you find yourself in that he cannot bring life. Call on him. He's worthy. Call on him. I'm going to ask every head to be cl- bowed and every eye to be closed.